the in-between is where Providence shines. In the cracks of brick sidewalks, behind concrete facades, and when the seasons change. I think of a canopy of crimson leaves cascading over Benefit Street. Murmurations of blackbirds flying across bare winter branches, and life revealing itself to us again in the spring. In dreary times like these, I dream of the Providence springtime. I remember during my first spring here, the fragrance of flowers in bloom filled the air. Of course, it wreaked havoc on my allergies, but I gratefully breathed it all in. Hope comes back to town, and College Hill's street names start to feel like good omens instead of cruel jokes. But Providence is an industrial town through and through. It's been deeply invested in global trade for centuries. Its industrial history is hidden in plain sight. You can see it in street signs, in plaques on the sides of buildings, and in India Point Park. But to see its industrial present, just look to the south. Windmills, mountains of salt, all sorts of metal structures that are incomprehensible to the untrained eye. The three smokestacks of the power station that interrupt our view of the river, they're a landmark, inseparable from the city's visual identity. It may be hard to imagine, amidst all this, a place that is green and warm, where hands move slowly in the dirt and seeds are coaxed into sprouting. There's a curious force at work in College Hill, clearly. Where do we place ourselves in this careful balance? It's so important to dig in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. touching touching grass. <laughs> Let's talk gardens. Regenerative Earth Collective plot, which is the student garden space on campus. Um, we grow vegetables, fibers, dyes, um, native perennials, herbs, all of the above. Lots of random stuff. Yeah, whatever people want to see, we try and grow it. Yeah. Yeah. You're hearing the voices of Regenerative Earth Collective student leaders. I'm Clara. Uh, they, he pronouns. I'm a senior in textiles. I'm Aya, they, she pronouns. I'm a senior in illustration. We visited the rec plot on a sunny November afternoon. It's nestled between two parking lots, just a short way down the hill from Woodscary. As you walk across a mulch path, you're surrounded by life. On one side, you'll see a handful of raised garden beds with tufts of green poking out of carefully tended soil. On the other, a small slope that is lushly teeming with flowers. So our herbs are near the entrance over there, and then all these beds are vegetables or fruit. We have like one little watermelon. <laughs> and then our hillside is Native perennials. perennials. Lots of flowers. Yeah, some of our dye Shrubs. plants live on the hillside. We have marigolds and calendula that grow. The garden has been around for a while now, but has evolved considerably since its beginning. Originally known as the Garden Club, the group started over a decade ago in a totally different location with different leaders and focused primarily on gardening as a form of self-care and physical therapy. But as seasons change and people graduate, the club changed too, eventually relocating to Defoe Place, where we are now. 
rec can definitely change and shift with whatever the demographic wants. So if the next set of people that are organizing the collective want it to be much more focused around food justice rather than fibers and dyes, then that's the way it goes and that's the way that interests flow. Part of the reason we changed from garden club to rec is so we could encompass more of that like mm -hmm. different environmental issues that a lot of students are interested in and want mm -hmm. to talk about. Because we've had students who are super into composting come to meetings, and then some students are just like, I'm here to garden, so. Mm -hmm. This responsiveness to group desire is a key part of the student group. It's in the name, Regenerative Earth Collective. And the garden thrives on all of the different people who interact with it regularly. REC is designed to change with what members are most interested in and what tools they have at their disposal. Like I had an interest in growing my own dyes for my work and sort of connecting students more with where their materials were coming from. And so I came in and I started the dye garden. After that summer, we started doing workshops and all of that. And I think that's sort of when you became involved. Well, I became involved because there's just a random hive of bees. Oh yeah, we also used to have bees. <laughs> oh cool. Yeah, yeah, there used to be like there's just a rogue hive behind Woods Gary mm -hmm. that Brown Beekeeping discovered and then was like, okay, I guess you're in charge of this now. So I was in charge of that for some time. And part of being a collective is sharing these unique interests with others. What what workshops do you do? Well, so far they've mostly been based around fibers and dyes, so flax processing, indigo processing, bundle dyes, food scrap dyes, like wool spinning, um, we're doing a borscht night, beet soup, it's tons and tons of things. I was very busy last year. <laughs> this provides opportunities for students to incorporate sustainable processes into their practices, especially for students in departments that don't provide resources in these areas. It kind of sprouted out of a realization that there's a big lack in sustainability education on campus. Pretty much every department here has some relationship to natural material. There's a whole bunch of layers of complexity, but I feel like on a smaller scale, it helps to just kind of understand that the things we wear and the things we use to make our art comes from somewhere. But the garden is not just a space to develop skill sets. It also reorients our relationship to Providence. We see the dirt beneath us as a resource, a canvas, a haven. Our goal here is to grow plants, not necessarily to provide the school with dyes, because we would need a ridiculous amount of land for that, um, but mostly just to give students an example of what it looks like to create a more circular system of making and be more conscious about, like, where the materials come from, how they use them, and where they go afterwards. Sort of thinking about the afterlife of things. I've heard a lot of people say that it's now their favorite place on campus because it's a nice space that is all green and kind of away from the busyness of the center of campus. Just like you get to hang out with the bees, you see other cool bugs around. Yeah, and then um, a lot of underclassmen that have been coming to us recently have like big interest in gardening, mm -hmm. so it's nice to have them here. I've met a lot of good people through Regenerative yeah. Earth. Um, everyone who likes plants are great people. <laughs> yeah.
now seems like a good time to introduce you to Julia Hames, a member of REC who started their own garden on campus two years ago. Cool. Um, I'm Julia Hames. I'm a senior in painting. Uh, I guess I started this alternate garden um, the end of my sophomore year, so about two years ago, after I took Japanese paper making and it really introduced me to how I can work with natural materials and how plants and things that grow from the earth can become a part of my practice. That one had been abandoned for a couple of years and I was like, wow, this is such a lovely spot. I wonder if I could start planting things here mm -hmm. to use to make paper out of or put in paper or dye it with. So what do you grow there? A whole variety of things. Lots of like just flowers that are pretty for picking or for dyes, um, coreopsis and marigolds, there's a lot of, and I had been growing a lot of indigo that we just processed as part of brick. Yeah, there's a whole strawberry patch. Yeah, awesome. beautiful big strawberry patch. <laughs> How big are those strawberries? They, they get pretty hefty, but they're June-bearing strawberries, so they are only, well, they only produce in June. Okay. Um, cool. And there's sometimes like way more than I can eat, so. <laughs> This space was the plot's original location. It's hidden behind a concrete wall, only accessible by a small hill that's near card services. Julia's garden began as a site-specific installation in order to get things started. But just like Rec, Julia's dye garden has faced many challenges. There's been scaffolding built on top of the garden, tools disappearing, and seedlings trampled by confused students. But one of the biggest challenges the garden has faced happened in the fall of 2022. So, summer, I'm gardening, I'm there every day, I'm watering, it's a drought, I'm taking care of it. And then fall comes around and um, plants are more established, it's raining more, I'm there a little bit less, but I'm still tending to it. Um, but I was thinking, maybe it's looking a little overgrown, I'm not there all the time. Um, so I hadn't been there for like maybe four days and I show up one day picking, go to pick some flowers and stuff, check on everybody, and I'm like, I look around and it's half of it is just like gone, like mowed down to the ground, like bare dirt, four trees cut down, um, and I am just like flabbergasted, like what happened here, and I didn't really know what to do, and I so I just I emailed head of grounds Steve Johnson, and I sent them this whole letter, like what's up, like I'm sorry if any of this, like was me like not like taking enough care of the space um, and then he responded and he seemed very empathetic he was very sorry it clearly was not meant to happen he said he was like clear to his crew that like this is spaces in use they were supposed to be clearing out one tree that was a safety hazard and I guess the crew didn't fully comprehend that it was a space in use and decided to just clear all of it out um, and there was like a lot of like plants that were like just like Cotton I was growing with seeds from last year was like just about to produce and all this okra and these beautiful flowers and milkweed that were like just about um, to like produce like a beautiful color and fiber and like harvest just gone and it was really really devastating um, but there's really nothing to be done because it's too late you know. Yeah. But this is just one obstacle of many that this student garden has faced in its existence. The main reason they didn't want me having the space, like they're against like student gardens in a way, is that like, oh, students abandon them. And then it's like more work for us later on. So it's like a trust thing. 
tr yeah. trusting the, they don't trust the students and maybe that comes from a track record mate who knows probably but, yeah <laughs> we saw that glass piece that was left that mm -hmm. installation that was left in the garden yeah so yeah it seems like there's a track record of students just leaving shit out in the open for facilities or grounds to take care of yeah i feel like i'm missing something here both REC and the Dye Garden have dealt with a series of conflicts that can all be traced back to miscommunication. Like dealing with facilities, like running over Clara's old like Dye Garden space over there last winter. But they built us a shed, which I guess is, ni yeah. is nice. Yeah, they it's sort of a, shed. a push and pull relationship. Facilities has been a big help in some ways, but there's also been setbacks with just miscommunication. Why does it happen so often? What makes it difficult to communicate between different areas of RISD? I don't really know. Maybe it's just, if anything, just a big separation between the students and staff of like facilities and grounds. Like, I don't know, you as a student, have you ever had any communication with them ever? No. Like, I think they and us as students like see us ourselves as separate entities. So maybe there is no established rapport between us and it would be so great if one could be established because there are so many beautiful ways that like these like two groups could be like incorporated. Mm -hmm. In the interest of bridging this gap we reached out to facilities for their input so that we might gain a fuller understanding of this communication. Yeah you're gonna get all sorts of noises in a few minutes because the guys are gonna come back because right. you are in a carpentry shop. <laughs> So hi, my name is Steve Johnson. I am the manager for structural trades and for the grounds department at RISD. We have a large group of tradespeople that work with us uh, to maintain the facilities, to do all of the day-to-day -day, um, upkeep of the facilities from the roof to the foundation. We work on the window shades and the flooring and the roofs and you, you name the, the component in a building and we're the people that come out and, and repair. Uh, also cut the grass and make sure all the bushes are trimmed and, you know, sweep the sidewalks. So, and clean a lot of graffiti. Steve is a maker himself. When he was in high school, he actually wanted to go to RISD. And while he was ultimately not a student here, he found his way back years down the line. Outside of RISD, he runs a studio dedicated to all things meditation. I actually own a Himalayan salt cave. Whoa. In Lincoln, Rhode Island. I do gong baths, cool. um, so we do sound healing at, the, at mm. the studio, so I do a lot of uh, different instruments. You um, made it. I'm here with all the makers, yeah. and it's just a beautiful environment, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. and I deeply resonate with, you know, with all of the people here and understand their, their need mm -hmm. of, you know, to create, and it's messy. Steve has been at RISD for nine years, but started in the grounds department just last year. Up until that point, he said he had been pretty separated from student activities. But his new position has him interacting with students, like the rec leaders, more than ever before. But, he says, he wasn't sure what the existing relationship between facilities and the student body really was. So he started by simply reaching out. I contacted the uh, group leaders. I met with them a few weeks ago, actually about a month ago, and then again uh, last week. What I did uh, develop with them is a plan uh, to supply them with materials and things like that that they couldn't afford to get themselves um, that would have been outside of the group. They, they're always trying to find materials and salvage materials to try and bring in and, and 
you know, we, we began last year, uh, at the end of the season, we uh, constructed them a new shed up in the space to try and get them to be organized and secure because one of the things that was happening is their tools were being taken and used elsewhere and not for their intended purposes. What we really want is a partnership between the, the REC and RISD to obviously have the beautiful uh, gardens that they they you know they so want mm -hmm. but also very useful and you know for the plant materials that they are selecting for projects and things like that so we really want to understand what they're looking for how they want to use the space actionable real improvements continue to be made centering streamlined communication with rec and these improvements have a future there are ongoing updates to facility system of communications across the board and Steve is excited to continue this partnership with RAC in the future when Clara and Aya graduate this year. Congratulations to them graduating, and I, I, I wish them all the best. But I'm hoping to have a great relationship with a new group coming in right from day one. Um, so to supply them with the wood chips and bring them in some compost and try and start a compost pile for them and you know, just uh, have that constant conversation of, you know, Okay, what do you need, and how are you know how are you doing? And I'd really like to develop that, and and, and do look forward to it. Change usually takes a long time at RISD, and COVID caused upheavals we're still recovering from. But these changes are happening relatively quickly. Steve credits that to new leadership, and points out that as students, it's rare to actually see the change happen in our time here. We just aren't around long enough to witness the outcomes of our work and our requests. This means a lot of progress and hard work put into this institution can easily disappear once students and staff rotate out. So it's important to protect these resources and ensure they're carried on. Every individual that works for facilities cares. They work hard every day to keep our campus looking as beautiful as it does. And what has stood in the way before is now actively improving. Since our interview with REC, they've let us know that the dynamic with facilities has improved greatly. They added, quote, We've had better communication open up with them recently and established clear guidelines on our working space. They've offered a lot of support going forward. But communicating with the school staff is not the only difficulty these gardens face. Fellow students have been the culprits of vandalism, littering, and general carelessness, from stealing pumpkins to decapitating sunflowers to installing and never de-installing. We we're very happy to share our space and like share what we have growing here. We just need communication. And we've, we've had like intentional art installations here before. Christian um, last spring held a show called Ecotonal here. And so we're very open to having students interact with the plot um, in their work and like we encourage it. We just need like a heads up. We need to work with you to understand what you're gonna do with the plot. We've had issues with things just kind of showing up and or disappearing. Again, just like clear communication is really key. The story does not have a good guy and a bad guy. But it remains that the gardens frequently recover from stolen crops, abandoned installations, and disappearing tools. Is it carelessness or just crossed wires? Is there some core of how our community functions that led to this? RISD has a mindset of 
steadfastness and like needing to pump workout. Um, I think that's true in most departments, especially EFS, as yeah, this sort of thing like culturally instills this idea of like, oh, you have one week to make this project and it has to be good, and you're just gonna slap something together and like put it in a space. Conscious thinking towards materiality and longevity is not really encouraged in a lot of classes, and so I think students just feel pressured to get their work done and get it installed, and they aren't given the proper amount of time that it takes to create responsible outdoor installation work. So RISD should really shift that mindset and encourage a lot more like slow, slow making, more critique focused around thinking about your impact towards your environment, other people, that sort of thing. I don't think it's a disregard. I think mm. uh, they're they're trying their best. I really do. I believe the students are trying their best to respect the school. I I see very little true disrespect, mm. and I do think the the process uh, is a little cumbersome uh, to try and get that project approved. But it is really important um, uh, from our our point of view from facilities. Uh, we look at the safety and security as well as long, long-term uh, repercussions of installation. Mm -hmm. Because uh, you know, as artists, we have to be responsible about what that future looks like for that piece, because everything needs maintenance over mm -hmm. time. Saying that, and I understand that sometimes you do have these really quick deadlines, um, it could be a little more streamlined. Mm -hmm. So, It's not something that can be fixed overnight. It's a dynamic that requires working through, a push and pull, a relationship that is tended to. And a lot of this care tends to go unnoticed, happening behind the scenes. We asked Steve what he wanted listeners to hear. I think uh, the only thing I really want people to understand is the, the people that you know, come out and clean the buildings and maintain the buildings and you know, maintain the grounds are really good people with great hearts and they're here trying to do their best every day. We take pride in what we do um, and uh, you know a smile and a wave goes a long way. And this care, this optimism, is essential to realizing our aspirations. So we ask the Regenerative Earth Collective to envision the ideal future of these gardens. I think there's a lot of space to expand into. <laughs> honestly still because like a lot of this hillside mm. is still could use more plants i think ideally we would get more land access in that direction up the hillside my dream is to have it be more of like a wildflower like meadow i've been collecting a lot of seeds of like native flowers that can be used for fibers and dyes or just regular art projects and it, that would be a self-sustaining place, really. I mean, what would be really fun is if the t parking lot was turned into a, a greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but a greenhouse I don't think that's way. happening anytime yeah. soon. <laughs> um, These folks work through every obstacle because it's worth it. The environment gives back just as much as they put in. Just like grass sprouting between bricks, these gardens, nestled between pavement and concrete walls, have bloomed into a classroom, a resource, and a sanctuary.
I'm assuming a good number of you who are listening right now are temporary residents of Providence. For students, our stay has a lease and date you can point to on a calendar. Faculty and staff tend to rotate in and out. And in four, five, even ten years, it's hard to take time to be cognizant of the fact that we are residents too. This is where we work and where we learn, but it is also a home, a place where life grows, a place that is loved and cared for, though we may not notice at first. Today, we have heard a few ways to reframe our relationship with Providence. Providence is generous with us, and like the Regenerative Earth Collective has shown, we can return the favor. In our time here, we might as well lovingly plant some roots. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ristiology. If you have newfound interest in either of the gardens explored in today's episode, check out Rex and the Dye Gardens Instagram pages for events and opportunities to get involved. They can be found at RISD Regenerative and at RISD.DyeGarden. Reach out. We know they'd be super happy to hear from you. And as always, we would love to hear from you. If there's a space you'd like us to highlight, or if you have any thoughts to share, you can message us on our Instagram, at RISDiology, or email us at RISDiology at RISD.edu. This episode was written and narrated by me, Olivia Schroeder, also written by Sophia Carrera-Britton, produced and edited by Zora Gamberg, sound design and mixing by Harry Pond. RISDiology is made in partnership with the Fleet Library at RISD.